Good morning, church. So glad you can join us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 5. We're now in chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Again, James 5, 1 through 6 is our text today. We're now in part 14 of our series, Faith in Action. Again, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, in last week's text, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, the focus was on the will of God, that as we go about our lives, don't forget to include God. And I gave you three points from the text, and point number one was don't presume. Don't presume. Why? Because of the uncertainty of life. And James says, don't go about saying, we're going to go here and there, do this and that, carry on business and make money. And then he says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And then he points out the certainty of death. And he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The second point was follow God's plan. And James says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And you see, James is concerned that God's perspective remains in first place in the making of our plans, that we need to include God in everything. We need to follow his plan, friends, our whole attitude of life ought to be it's up to God. Whatever God wants, that's what I want. And the third point of last week's uh, message was don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate. And he writes, anyone then who knows the good, the good he ought to do, well, that's the good of operating in the will of God. That's the good of, of including God in our plans. So anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Rich Oppressors. Say that, Rich Oppressors. Now, back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, James was speaking to the rich believer. But here in our text, he's speaking to the rich non-believer. So how do I know that? Well, first of all, in the text, they're not called brothers. And if you go down to verse 7, if you look at verse 7, you'll notice James then speaks to the brethren. That's what's lacking from the first six verses of the text. Also, James doesn't call them to repent. He doesn't call them to repent, which is another indication that these men are not believers. He simply announces the fact that judgment is coming upon them. So in our text, these are non-Christians, and they are evident, evidently excuse me, men who owned large estates in the area uh, where the church was, and, and they were having a love affair a love affair with their money, and oppressing the poor Christians in the process. They were oppressing the poor Christians in the process. Uh, now, the question is, can a, can a person be rich and still be a Christian? And the answer is sure, absolutely, friends. In fact, in the Bible, there were rich believers, such as Abraham and Joseph and David, Solomon, Job, Daniel, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Zacchaeus, Barnabas, and also Lydia. Listen, Jesus said, Jesus said that the rich can get into heaven, but it's a lot harder for them. And I want you to write this down. Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19, verses 16 through 23. Again, Matthew 19, 16 through 23. Says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter, enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
All these I have kept, young men said. In other words, he says, I'm good on that. What do I still lack? Jesus answered. Jesus gets right to the heart. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You see, this man's riches demanded his allegiance. He he wasn't the master of it. He was a slave to it. Now, I want you to get this. Money is a great servant, but a lousy master. I'm going to say it again. Money is a great servant, but a lousy master. Now, if you're saved, say amen. The Bible is not against us having riches. It's against riches having us. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about money. It talks about investing. It talks about earning, about saving, about squandering. So there's nothing wrong with possessing things, but it's wrong when our possessions possess us. And you see, the question is not so much whether we have a lot of riches or possessions or little. The question is, do they have us? Sophia Tucker said this, From birth to 18, a girl needs good parents. From 18 to 35, she needs good looks. From 35 to 55, she needs a good personality. From 55 on, all she needs is cash. Now now listen, money is neither good or bad, it's neutral. And it all depends on how and what we are using it for. So I want you to write this down, 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. And it says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Did you get that? But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's true, right? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, verse 10. By the way, verse, by the way, in 1973, the OJs sang, For the Love of Money. I'm dating myself here. For the Love of Money, based from this verse, verse 10. And it was remembered mostly for its chorus, you know, money, 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 money. That chorus, we all know that, right, friends? So in verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You got it? Not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, now I believe, I believe that it's much easier to handle adversity than it is to handle prosperity. So, so I want you to follow me here. In adversity, say adversity. In adversity, we tend to rely more on God and we're aware of our sense of need for Him. In prosperity, say prosperity. We tend to be self-reliant, trusting in our possessions and resources rather than God. Therefore, we lose our sense of need for God. Now listen, church, the Bible says that we should never, say never, trust in riches for our security. 
So I want you to write this down, Proverbs 23, chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Again, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, where it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. We know that's true, right? In 1923, a group of, of the world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Uh, the president of the largest independent steel company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, uh, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlement, and the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. 27 years later, let's see what happened to them. Charles Schwab, the president of the largest independent steel company, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and died penniless. Arthur Cutton, the greatest wheat speculator, died abroad, unable to pay debts he owed. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, served time in prison. Albert Fall, the member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear in Wall Street, committed suicide. Leon Fraser, the president of the Bank of International Settlement, committed suicide. Ivar Kreger, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, committed suicide. You see, all of these men had learned how to make money, but not one of them had learned how to live. Now, friends, before we get into our first point, we need to understand that in James' day, there was no such thing as a middle class. You were either poor, very poor, or rich, very, very rich. Now, I want four points uh, from our text, uh, and then I want to I conclude the message with some positive principles. So if you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Point number one is, is hoarding. Say that, hoarding. Write that down, hoarding. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 of the text. And James writes, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. I'm going to read that again. Now listen, you rich people. Doesn't call them brothers or brethren. You rich people weep and wail. I want to stop there. This speaks of an intense, an intense agony. The word weep, say weep, means to, to sob out loud. It means to lament. It was often used to describe the emotional expressed, uh, the emotion expressed at the loss of a loved one. Wail, say wail. The word wail is an interesting word. In fact, friends, it's only found here in the New Testament. Uh, here in the text, and it goes beyond lamenting. It has the idea of shrieking or screaming in intense sorrow. So these words together portray an extreme outburst of despair and uncontrollable grief. Let's read on. Because of the misery that is coming upon you. I want to stop there again. James is getting right down to business here. He's getting right down to business. In fact, friends, uh, James kind of sounds like an Old Testament prophet. 
And he's letting them know the consequence, the consequence of their greedy lives. There's a judgment coming upon you. Let's read on, verse 2. Your wealth, listen what he says, has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. And you see, they would never expect, these, these rich people would never expect a time when their wealth and power were gone. Verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. And those are heavy words. That means that their failure to use their riches for the good of others would cause them deep suffering. Fire, say fire. Fire symbolizes fast, inescapable, fatal, and final judgment. Now listen. Their treasure, the, the treasure, excuse me, the treasure they prized will rust and decay. And friends, the very thing they trusted in will testify against them in the day of judgment and will be, and this now, and will be unable to prevent God's divine wrath. So he says in verse 3 Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will, will testify, excuse me, against you and eat your flesh like fire. Let's, let's finish the, the rest of verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, in the New Testament times, there were three main sources for riches. It was food, clothes, and, and precious metals. And not only were these three main sources for riches, but they were also the three ways to show off your wealth. Now listen, these rich folks were stockpiling food, collecting clothes, and, and precious metals. And, and they were stockpiling their money and stuff just for the sake of having it. That was their security. They, they were blinded, listen now, by their greed. They were blinded by their greed and unable to comprehend reality. Now I want you to follow me here. The very thing they trust in and live for is corrupt to the core. And friends, they had placed their trust in material possessions that wear out and decay. Now notice, notice, there's no mention, okay, there's no mention of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? There's no mention of a relationship with Jesus. You see, their possessions was their God. That was their God. It was their possessions. They worshipped what they had acquired and failed to acknowledge their need for Jesus, for God. Now listen, one of the main reasons why some people hoard their money is they're afraid to lose it. They're afraid to lose it. They feel secure just knowing that they have it. And you see what James is saying this is what James is saying, is whatever you accumulate will deteriorate. Got it? Whatever you accumulate will deteriorate. They were laying up treasures on earth. Now, there's a lesson here. And what's the lesson? Don't place our faith and trust in material possessions. I'm going to say it again. Don't place our faith and trust in material possessions. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, we must set our affections on things above and lay up treasures in heaven. Got it? Listen to what Jesus said about that, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Again, Matthew 6, chapter 6, 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth 
and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, what, also. So I have a question for you. What clothes do moths eat? The ones you wear or the ones we store away? Huh? The ones that you and I, that we wear, or the ones that we store away? And you see, they were accumulating wealth rather than circulating it. I'm going to say it again. They were accumulating wealth rather than circulating their wealth. Listen, they weren't saving it. Now, I want to tell you, it's, it's good stewardship to save, okay? But they weren't saving it. They were hoarding it. Now, remember the rich farmer, and, and I mentioned him last week, um, in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, Luke 12, 16 through 21, he produced a good, he produced, excuse me, a, a good crop and, and he had no place to store it. And it says this, this is what I'll do, he says. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I'll, I, I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Did you get that? Proverbs 11, verse 4a. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4a. Write that down. Proverbs verse, chapter 11, verse 4a says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. Question. How much stuff do you stockpile, or let me ask you this, how much stuff do you have stockpiled in your closet, your garage, or in storage? Think about that. How much stuff do you have stockpiled in your closet, your garage, or in storage? So question, what are you trusting in today? It's a great question. What are you trusting in the day, are you listen? Now, are you depending on your ability to, to secure your future? Are you depending upon wealth to meet the needs that you have? Now, listen. Apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ and the work we accomplish for Him, all else is temporal, and it will all fade away. So, let me ask you this: Are you laying up treasures in heaven? You should. If we're believers, we should. So point number one is hoarding. Point number two is stealing. Write that down. Say stealing. Stealing. Look at verse four with me. And James says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So I want you to follow me here. They were not only guilty of sinfully hoarding their wealth, but also, listen now, but also how they acquired their wealth. And much of their wealth was obtained by, by denying and also by withholding others the wages they had honestly earned. And they were stealing. Okay? They, they, were, they were getting rich by dishonest means. They were dishonest employers. Now, the day laborer in Palestine lived on the verge of starvation. His wage was small, and so it was impossible for him uh, to, to save anything. And if the wage was withheld from him, even for a day, he and his family did not eat. So I want you to write these verses down. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 
verses 14 through 15. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15 says, Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset. Did you get that? Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. Leviticus 19, verse 13 says, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages, there we go, the wages of a hired man overnight. So that's very clear, right? Now, let's look at the text again. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies, especially heavenly and angelic armies. Now, I want you to follow me here. It describes God, here in the text, it describes God as the warrior. Say warrior. The, 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 com- the commander-in-chief of the heavenly armies. So James is telling the oppressed, poor Christians that God has heard, he's heard their cries, and that God will help, listen now, and avenge them because as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, friends, he guarantees ultimately to right every wrong and, and, and answer every injustice. He, God, will one day settle the score. Say amen to that. In Psalm chapter 73, Psalm 73, Asaph was bothered with the fact that the ungodly were prospering and the godly were not. But in verse 17 of Psalm 73, it says this, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then, Asaph says, then I understood their destiny. So friends, the Lord of hosts will answer every injustice and he will settle the score. Now listen, employers, pay your employees and your vendors on time. Don't withhold what is due to them. And if you do, guess what? That's stealing. That's stealing. And some of you are probably saying right now, you know, this doesn't apply to me. I don't own my own business, so I'm good on this one. Really? Well, let me give you other forms of stealing. When you sell your car and don't tell the buyer everything that's wrong with it. Or when you show up to work late and leave early. Or when you call in sick when you're really not sick. Or when you're not completely honest about the information on your taxes. Or when you fail to pay your bills on time. Or when you don't tithe to God. So are you really good on this one? Huh? You see, God sees the lies that you and I, that we live, friends, and He knows the attitudes that we possess and the motivations that drive us. He knows all that. And friends, we will stand before God and give account to the life that we, that you and I, have lived. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be guilty of oppressing others for my own personal benefit. Hoarding, stealing, and point number three is wasting. Write that down. Say wasting. Wasting. Look at verse five with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury 
and self-indulgence. I want to stop there. Again, James is emphasizing the fact the fact, uh, the fact that they're, they're driven by an insatiable appetite for more, and yet they're never filled. There, there, there never seems to be enough for them, friends. Uh, they continue to want more and more and more. So you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Indulgence, excuse me. You have fattened yourselves. And what he says, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You know what's interesting? They didn't even realize they were preparing themselves for slaughter. Now listen, they were using their wealth selfishly, wasting it, listen now, wasting it instead of meeting the needs of the less fortunate. They were, listen now, greedy. They wanted more and more and more to waste it on themselves. And they did this, they did this, friends, on the wages taken from their victims. Now write this down, Luke 12, 15. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Warren Wiersbe said this, There is a great difference between enjoying what God has given us and living extravagantly on what we have withheld from others. Even if what we have has been earned lawfully and in the will of God, we must not waste it on selfish living. There are too many needs to be met. Hoarding, stealing, wasting. Number four is abusing. Say that, abusing. Write that down, abusing. Look at verse 6a with me. You have condemned and murdered, did you get that? Condemned and murdered innocent men. So they went as far to condemn them. And, and this may have reference to the fact that they dragged these believers off uh, to courts of law. So they went as far as to condemn them, not only condemn them, but also even to kill them. And to kill them to maintain their lavish lifestyles. They listen now, they were using the courts to judicially murder some of the abused poor. And they had listen, they had the, they had the money to pay off judges, so that's why they did that. Look at verse 6b, who are not opposing you. Let's just read the whole verse together. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Who are not opposing you. You see, these poor. Less fortunate Christians didn't even resist the rich. They were defenseless. And all they could do was call on God for justice. Now write this down, Romans 12, 19. And you got to get this, Romans 12, 19. It says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Did you get that? But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge I will repay, says the Lord. I want to read that again. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, these, these, these persecuted Christians faithfully followed the instructions of Jesus found in Matthew 5, 38-42, Matthew 5, 38 to 42, where he, Jesus, taught them 
about retaliation. Go home and read that. So it's plain in all this that, that James isn't condemning the possessions of wealth. He isn't saying that it's evil to be rich, right? He's not saying that. Rather, he's condemning evil behavior of wealthy people who oppress others, who hoard their goods to the point of wastefulness, who withhold the pay that they owe to their workers, who greedily consume their wealth in evil, sensual self-indulgence, and who openly, listen now, openly oppress the righteous even to the point of murder. These are the things that James condemns. If you got it, say amen. So in light of what we've learned in the text, I want to give you four positive principles. Four positive principles. If you're ready, say yes. First principle is this. We should trust God rather than riches. We should, as believers, trust God rather than riches. Riches. Write that down. We should trust God rather than riches. And you know, friends, in uncertain economic times, it's so important that you and I as believers remind this and ourselves over and over and over again that our security is not found in what we have, but in the one to whom we belong. Got it? To the one to whom we belong. Write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Did you hear that? Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But listen to what Paul says. But to put their hope in God. There it is. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Did you get that? And to be generous, say generous, and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's an amazing passage right there, okay? That's an amazing passage. Now listen, that being said, instead of watching the stock market, we should fix our eyes on God and listen to his word. He's the one. Say, say he's the one. He's the one, listen now, in whom we find strength, peace, and security, the one who has promised to meet our needs. Philippians 4.19, right? That he will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. All of our needs. He will supply all of our needs. So let me ask you this. Are you trusting in God? I mean, we're going through some hard times right now, friends. All right? And we're in the middle of a test. Are you trusting God? Or are you trusting riches? And I pray that we're trusting God. That we're fully and completely trusting Him. So, 
The first principle is we should trust God rather than riches. The second one is this. We should use our resources as a tool to use rather than as a trophy to display. I'm going to say it again. Write it down. We should use our resources, resources as a tool to use rather than as a trophy to display. And what comes to mind is the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter, chapter 25 Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the master gave his servants various amounts of money. He gave one five, uh, one, uh, one five talents, uh, the other two, and the other one one. And he told them to take the money and what? And invest it, listen now, for his benefit. Okay? Not their benefit, for his benefit. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God gives us resources for us to use for his benefit, not ours, for his benefit. Now listen, when we talk about stewardship, say stewardship, we often think of, of tithing, right? First thing that comes to mind when someone says stewardship, we think of tithing. Now, now that's not incorrect, it's just incomplete. Follow me. Stewardship is much more than tithing. It's seeing all that we have, all say that, all that we have as given to us by God as a tool to accomplish His purpose. I'm going to say it again. It's seeing all that we have as given to us by God as a tool to accomplish His purpose. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's all about Him. And so then, therefore, we need to ask ourselves, friends, how can I use what I have to honor and serve God? How can I use what I have to honor and serve God? God, it's all about Him, not us. The third principle is this. We should focus on eternal dividends rather than financial dividends. I'm going to say that again. We should, write it down, we should focus on eternal dividends rather than financial dividends. Friends, we need to understand the temporary nature of stuff. It's just stuff. It's temporary. Now listen, rather than focus on securing what is temporary, we should seek to secure that which is eternal. Say that, say eternal. So, so how do we do that? Well, you can invest in the work of the church that, that, that can be more effectively, that, that can more effectively, excuse me, more effectively proclaim the gospel. You can invest in missions, whether it be local or, or global. You can invest by serving <clears throat> Excuse me. By serving, you can invest by giving, by tithing. That's how we invest in eternal things. Now, if you're saved, say amen. The only treasures that you and I, that we take with us when we die, are our acts of service to God and those friends, family, and neighbors who we have introduced to Jesus Christ. Friends, when we invest in these things, our dividends will be eternal. So follow me here. We should trust God rather than riches. We should use our resources as a tool to use rather than as a trophy to display. <coughs> Excuse me. And we should focus on eternal dividends rather than financial dividends. And finally, the last principle is this. 
We should long for contentment rather than stuff. We should long for contentment rather than stuff. I love that. Write this down, 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 through 10. This is something that we read to you earlier, that I read to you earlier. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 10, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, but godliness with contempt is what? Great gain. There it is. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So we should long for contentment rather than stuff. Now let's be honest, okay? Let's be straight up honest with ourselves. We want to drive the brand new car with all the latest gadgets, don't we? We want the bigger television, the latest iPhone, laptop, the latest video game. We want the, the early retirement, the bigger home, the designer clothes, fancy food. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things, but the problem with all of these things is that there will always be something newer and better out there. Someone said this, money will buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not appetite, a house but not a home, medicine but not health, amusement but not happiness, finery but not beauty, a crucifix, but not a savior. Wow, that's awesome. Listen, friends, the bottom line is this. Money can buy you anything but happiness and take you anywhere but heaven. Say contentment. Contentment realizes that happiness is not found in the things that you and I possess, but in the God that we serve. Contentment, say that is found when we, when we gratefully receive what God has given to us without having to compare what we have with others around us. Contentment, say that, comes from the amazing knowledge that we're forgiven by Jesus Christ and destined for an eternity with Him. Contentment, say that. Contentment and enjoyment comes from realizing that blessings come from the people in our lives rather than the possessions in our lives. Listen, friends, these challenging financial times can make, can, excuse me, can make us anxious or they can challenge us to simplify our lives and sharpen our focus. So, friends, our challenge is to resist the urge to panic. I'm going to say it again. Our challenge is to resist the urge to panic. We need to find our security in Jesus Christ rather than in the things of this world. We need to learn to live, listen now, on less and joyfully appreciate and give thanks for what you and I have been given. Can I get an amen?
So let's, let's, let's close. God has given us two hands. Say two hands. One to receive with and the other to give with. One to receive with and one to give with. So follow me here. We're not vessels made for hoarding. We're vessels made for giving. And if we fail, friends, to fulfill this divine duty and privilege, we have missed the meaning of the Christian life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for how you have spoken to our hearts today. And Father, might, might we be reminded that, that our security is not in what we have, but in who but in you, Father, to whom we belong. That, that in these uncertain, trying economic times, we will fix our eyes on you and your word and use what we have, Lord, to honor and serve you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Be a giver, not a hoarder. God bless you. Be safe. See you next week. Love you all.